Amen. Well, how many of you like to take a cruise? How many of you like a cruise? Just raise your hands there. Some of you's into it. Come on, be proud. Don't be, don't be ashamed. It's all good. It's all good. I'm not going to... How many of you just soon not take a cruise? Some, some of you around. There's a good many non-cruisers too. Chickens. How would y'all all like to take a cruise together? Well, you can forget it. Well, I'm going to talk about today about a cruise we're all taking together. All right? You remember the Titanic? (laughs) At 2.20 a.m., April 15th, 1912, the Titanic, the world's largest and most luxurious ocean liner, disappeared into the icy depths of the North Atlantic. With her, she took the lives of 1,500 souls, men, women, and children. More casualties than any maritime accident in peacetime. After striking a huge iceberg, the 46,500-ton vessel sank in less than three hours. Lloyds of London was the firm that insured the Titanic. And they had reasoned that the probability, probability of such an event was one in a million. The ship had especially constructed bulkheads. It was believed it would check seawater no matter how severely the ship might be damaged. As though fully convinced of the Titanic's invulnerability, the White Star Line who operated the Titanic, had provided only enough lifeboats for half of the people on board. At 11.40 p.m. that same day, later into the night, the lookout on the Titanic's bridge saw an ominous shape ahead. Ice, he yelled, dead ahead, a big bird, he shouted. The helm was turned hard over. The engines were reversed. But it was too late. 300 foot gash ripped through the side of the Titanic. Its hull was made as if, as, made as if it were tin. When the accident occurred, there was, there was little excitement actually among the passengers. They were told there might be a slight delay. We like to hear that on airplanes, don't we? Might be a slight delay. The ship's orchestra continued to play popular tunes. The Titanic's bow was settling deeper by the minute. When the command was finally given to enter the lifeboats, many passengers still refused to believe that the ship was in real danger. Since there wasn't enough lifeboats, many of the men gallantly insisted that women and children be allowed in first. Husbands separated from their wives and children. 
and were forced to remain aboard as the ship sank deeper, deeper and deeper into the waters, the icy waters. There were acts of cowardice. Some lifeboats pulled away half empty. The British steamer, the Carpathia, picked up the Titanic's SOS, radioed back, coming hard. Several hours later, she rescued 712 passengers and crew from the Titanic's lifeboats. There was a movie made about 20-something years ago, I guess, by now. Uh, James Cameron was so moved by that tragedy that he developed a story and wove together many true stories that occurred uh, on the Titanic or or with the people of the Titanic. And he also wove in a a love story, you know, just to keep the interest, I guess. But he said this. He said he wanted people to cry for the Titanic, which means, he said, to cry for the people, which means to cry for any lost soul in an hour of untimely death. The Titanic, Titanic was called the ship of dreams. And its lesson is that life is uncertain and the future is unknowable and the unthinkable is possible. And it's a reminder that as we ride our ship, of earthly dreams. There's still one great unconquered enemy, and that is death. You say, well, thanks, Charlie, for cheering us up here on the, on the fourth. My job is not only to cheer up, but it also is to warn. And today we're going to be looking at the Bible. Some people, when they think about death, they may think fatalistically. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. They hope that when death approaches, they can just resign themselves that finally it must be faced. And their best hope in death is that it's the end of all things. But the testimony of this great book says differently. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to read from this text the truth concerning concerning death. The truth concerning death. This is Paul writing to the church of Corinth. And this is the early church. And they were struggling with understandings about death. You see, they were still a very minority people. And there was all kinds of religions in those days. All is a very plural, plural, there were lots of religions. Yes, thank you. You want to take over now? Okay, you're all good. And so there were many challenges to the Christian belief about death about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and about death and its hereafter. So Paul's writing to them to let them understand what now is the Christian view of death. 
And so we read 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable, that is the physical, the mortal, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death or grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so, Paul is teaching the Corinthian church and us what a Christian is looking for concerning death. And what is this about? And the Bible says here, there is a passageway through which our ship of earthbound dreams cannot pass. Death, death changes everything. When we go through that passageway, whatever hopes, whatever, whatever we've accumulated, all things change in that passageway. Our lives dramatically change in that passageway. Now that opens thousands of questions. And I don't know that I can answer not one of them. So I'm not going there, okay? So... File your questions back in that drawer. We'll get to what the Bible is saying about death here. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does this perishable inherit the imperishable. This physical body is not going to get through that passageway as it is. There's a destination for the soul. That no matter what on this side of things you've been able to accumulate or, or bring about, no act on this side, no work on this side, there's nothing that can bring a sinful person who's never had forgiveness through that passageway into the heavenlies. So how can a man or a woman, how can a person ready themselves to die. How can he make himself worthwhile? And the answer is, you cannot do it alone. 
It is through Jesus Christ and His preparations of your life for that moment. Look what He says. Listen. Sometimes it says, Behold. When you see that word behold in the Bible, it's like, Hey, looky here. There's something coming. That's the southern version of the Hebrew, which the Bible is written in Greek, this part anyway, the New Testament. I tell you a mystery. Something's, I'm telling you something has been revealed. We all will not sleep, but we all will be changed. That's a good motto for the nursery. We all will not sleep, but we all will be changed. Right? Paul's saying not all of us are going to are going to die before this happens. We're not all going to fall to death before Christ comes. When He comes, there'll be those who are living, those Christians. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a flash, He says, in the twinkling of an eye. You see... We've got all kinds of thoughts about death. I've got my, my imagination. I, deal with lots of, I do lots of funerals, and the more I do, the more I imagine. I've got lots of thoughts about heaven. But whatever takes place, however God does it, and there are preachers that can tell you exactly how it's done, I'm telling you, but I'm not one of them. In the twinkling of an eye, as far as our understanding of what's happening, it happens. And so, in a flash, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, this is that figure of the end time coming, Christ coming, the trumpet in heaven will sound, it says, and the dead will be raised imperishable. Not physical, but however God works it out, imperishable. He clothes us, we'll get to that. And we will be changed, he says. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. And this mortal, we're all mortal, you know. This mortal, you know we're mortal, don't you? Sometimes us Christians think that we're not mortal. That when bad things happen to us or something happens to our body, something's going to happen somewhere down the road. Isn't that right? If you live long enough, we're mortal. We are, we are liable to sickness. We are liable to accidents. We are liable. We are mortal. Let's all say that together. We are mortal. That's all right. We all agreed on that. But this mortal, he said, will be clothed with immortality. Some poor preacher was reading this at a funeral and he got to that line. He had already been through it a couple of times. And he said, this mortal must be clothed with immorality. See? Slip of the tongue, it can happen. There has to be a change, you see. And this change happens as a direct result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see why Easter is important every week, every week we worship? You see why Easter is always important? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the whole deal. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no getting through the passageway. 
He's made the way through His resurrection. He has broken the power of sin and broken the the power of death. And so the resurrection of Christ is the most remarkable act ever happened on this earth. And it was a God thing. We can give it that. Amen? Amen? Amen, Amen, that's right. (laughs) I primed him for that and he just fell asleep on it. So there we go. As a result, we, we change. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and when the mortal has been clothed with immortality, he says, when this happens, there at the passageway, provided by Jesus' death and the resurrection, a great change has taken place from this mortal, temporal world to this world eternal and immortal. Tell us about that. I have no earthly idea what all that means. What's heaven going to look like? I got my idea. Lucille, I'm sure you've got an idea. But mine as busy as yours. Right? We all got an idea, right? You got a little thought about what heaven must be like? Shake your head, Jason. We got it. Yeah, we got it. Here's what we know. God's going to be there. And that's heaven. However the Lord works it out, He gives us our imaginations. we got some clues. We can build on it a little bit from the Bible. This passageway, great change takes place. The believer in Christ has this promise. Verse 54, it says, Then the saying is written, when this takes place, then the saying is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. That old enemy, death, has gone down the throat of victory. How can the last great enemy, death, be robbed of its victory and its sting? How does that happen? You see, the grave claims a victory. The grave itself is a sorrowful place. It is a place where we're parting now from that life we've loved. It's often filled with sorrow. Everybody's got to admit there's some sorrow. What could remove the dread of death and the hopelessness that it seems to indicate? The stopping, it looks like at such a stopping place, doesn't it? Paul says this. And Paul's a little bit of a taunter. Paul gets in the face of the grave. And he says, Grave, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting, he says. You see, Paul later writes to Thessalonians, he says, Grieve. When we lose loved ones, and some of you have, and some rather lately, Grieve. But don't grieve only as those who have no hope. Grieve and have hope. So this is not denying the the pain of 
death. But it's denying the grasp of death. The victory of the grave can only be removed when that sting, verse 56, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. That's the stinger. We're, we're afraid of death because it's unknown. We, we can't see through it, over which we, we don't really have control. How many of you like to have control? I see six of us. You won't do this? We cannot evade death. We can't sidestep it. We might be the most great, great athletic somebody you've ever seen. I saw LeBron James when he was young. Man, he was leaps and bounds over everybody else. But even he's going to get old one day and stop some of that. You cannot evade We're in the grip of forces that bother us. In some ways, we are a death-denying culture. We somehow think that there's going to be something that's going to push us on past death and keep us alive. I talked to this woman one time in the nursing home. I was there to visit somebody else, but she was sitting in the door, and I had to kind of wheel her out of the way. You know how it is. She looked at me, and she said, You're a preacher, aren't you? I said, Well, yes, ma'am. She said, How about that Methuselah? That's one of them questions, you know. I said, Well, yeah, he lived a long time, you know, 900-something years. And here she was in her wheelchair, and... I'm sure hurting. She said, I'd sure hate to live that long. (laughs) It bothers us. It also bothers us because it is unknown. And we got this feeling, I think it's a God-given feeling, that on the other side, we're going to be held accountable. Don't you kind of have that feeling? Because the Lord put it in us. That we're going to be held accountable. And that death lies, after death, there lies a settling of accounts. We got this sense about things. And an answering for what we have been and how we have lived and what we have done. That's why death is more a fearsome thing than even the dying part. We don't much want to think about the dying part either. But this thought about on the other side. And the law says you cannot escape the evil of your past. That's what the old law says. That's what the law book is. You break the law, you're going to pay for it. You might get away with it on this earth here and there and yonder. You know, but we know that God keeps, got better forces than even the greatest police. We also know there's no, there's no getting around it. There's no deliverance from it. It's a coming. And that's what makes us afraid of death. But the good news is this. 
It comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ following His crucifixion is that this power of sin in our life, this etching of sin, this engraving of sin upon our heart, that Christ can remove it because of His death and His resurrection and will do it if we will believe and repent and follow Him. Our country right now is debating... I mean, it's just debating over all kinds of morality issues. I mean, from the top down to whoever. And there seems to be such a powerlessness to turn it around. You say, yeah, this old world's pretty bad. We're just going to Hades in a handbasket. I'll give you the other version if you want it. People sure have got bad. What in the world is going to happen in this world? But, but we really ought to be thinking, I need God myself. Don't be looking across the town at others to see somebody that needs God. We need God. Every one of us has got a broken heart because of sin. In our life. I know it's getting late. Later. I'm not done yet. Shannon. I've talked to Shannon this morning. And Cameron's had his last church meeting over in South Africa. Shannon, how long was that meeting? Three hours. So, buckle up. (laughs) People are wondering how to break habits, addictions, lying, smoking, lusting, bitter spirit, vicious tempers. How can we get away from the terrible feeling that sin leaves on the conscience, guilt? How do we deal with that, thing, that kind of stuff? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. There's no other place to get forgiveness. We can ask it of each other. We can forgive ourselves. We can, you know what? But there's really only place where you can really truly get true forgiveness, final forgiveness. We might need these others. We need the final word from God. We're rounding third. We're coming in a home plate. And it don't matter if there's 50,000 people in the stands watching that fella slide in there. There's one person going to make the call. Who's that? Mr. Umpire. God's making that call. And I'm glad it's him. And not me or you, Billy. Right? He's making that call. Only Jesus... The Bible says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, remember that word perish, but have everlasting life, be clothed with imperishable. Sometimes we will stand at the grave of a Christian and Though we have tears, we know deep down inside there's a happiness for them. We hurt, but for them. 
And Paul says in verse 57, thanks be to God. He gives us, it's better said, He keeps on giving us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just had given it to us. He keeps it up. He's working in our souls, giving us the victory day by day by day by day in Jesus Christ. It's not past. It's present. He's not a distant Savior. We're not waiting, hoping against hope that He's going to save us. It's present. He gives His Word to us. We have that hope in our heart. We, have, we are anchored with a hope. When we go on this cruise together, we're anchored with a hope. We've got to all sell our ship. This ship of dreams. And there's a guarantee for life that it's uncertain, that it's unknowable, the future, and even the unthinkable is possible. But it's God through Jesus Christ who purchased our pardon and hope and provided the change. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable. Don't let the world just swish you around on all this stuff. Be unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Just keep on trucking for Jesus. We might think, what purpose have I got on this world? Would you just work, just keep on trying to serve the Lord? And it won't be in vain. You know, the story of the Titanic is full of irony. Had, had not the lookout on sighted that iceberg, and the helmsman had not turned the wheel, the Titanic probably would have hit that iceberg head on. And it's, and it's likely that only the bow sections of the ship would have been flooded and those seriously crippled, she would have remained afloat and been able to reach her destination. Many wait till death to make an evasive maneuver. We think we can wait till the moment and somehow we will get around it. You cannot wait till the cold waters of death begin to take you. The Bible says this, today, today's today, right? Today is the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord when it's still today. Will you bow with me a moment? There may be some here today who have not, have not settled the matter with the Lord, have not asked Christ in their heart, have asked Christ to come into their life. Maybe you haven't prayed, Lord Jesus, come into my life and change me. Give me release from my sins and set me free from my past and heal my present. Father, hear and answer the prayer of those who may be crying out today. Calling out from their soul. Looking for a release from the guilt and the darkness of sin. Wanting to find their way, Lord, to life and to joy and to truth. We 
whether we can see it from afar or if it's up near to us now, there's a passageway coming that we're all going to face. And Lord, let us believe in You. That God, You, whatever, we, we can't explain it, we can't see through it, whatever it is, Lord, we want to be able to trust You that God, You're in charge of that too. And that You'll get us through. God, it requires us to be willing on this side of the matter to with all of our heart and all of our, all we have in ourselves, all we know about ourselves, to all we understand about you, to give ourselves to you. And say, Lord, lead me and guide me. I want to be saved and I want to serve. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing hymn number 315. And it's room at the cross. And that's the call. That's the universal call of the gospel. Is there's room at the cross for everyone. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and sing this good song. If the Lord's speaking to your heart today and you'd like to walk this aisle, I tell you it's a good way of signifying I'm meaning business with the Lord today. I'm turning it all over to Him. So God bless you. Let's sing this together. Yes, there's room at the cross.